With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. With sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1-800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. You receive 125% sign-up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. If you're really good, you just went three for ten. And probably don't feel good about two of them. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday. How is everyone? Hope everybody's having a glorious existence today. I mean that, too. Nine states, 55 sticks. I say that all the time. Bottom line is just about anywhere you look on the map in the southeast, you are hearing me talk college football for two hours a day, and I appreciate everybody making that happen. So uh, we just try to do a somewhat competent job. So I appreciate you tuning in. I said if you're really good, you just went three for ten. Folks, The only thing, for the most part, and I'm talking certainly professional pursuits, but as well as some of my leisurely time, just about truthful. All I do every day year-round is college football. I will admit, I didn't have the conference championship game lineup pegged. It is set, and for the Power 5 matchups, five games, ten teams, I'm guessing not everyone had Wake Forest playing for a title this Saturday. Am I correct? Oregon and Utah play. Baylor and Oklahoma State. Georgia-Bama. 
Michigan, Iowa, Pitt, Wake Forest, a game that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And by virtue of a pretty comfortable win over a good BC opponent, pretty comfortable, good opponent. It was BC. That's that's the Atlantic Coast Conference title game Saturday night. Uh, but we talked Pitt Wake Forest as a potential a couple weeks back. Uh, I would say most of us got Georgia. I will say most of us got Bama. In fact, I would say virtually everyone looked at the SEC East. And other than someone picking Kentucky, which was not a horrid pick given the schedule, all you needed was Georgia to screw up just a little bit, be a little complicit. And then Georgia was like, yeah, not happening. But I, I'm going to say like 99% of us would have picked Georgia. I think a good number, majority would have said Bama. And for most of us, that might tell the tale. Other than if you also pick the Ducks. So there is your conference championship lineup. And I think Utah's going to win again on Saturday. And that's difficult to do. I just think they're mean and physical and get after you. And it, when I say it's difficult to do, difficult to beat a team twice in the same season. Do you know why? Gus Malzahn knows why. Les Miles knows why. Man, who else has played twice in the uh, – Florida State and Miami never did that. No, they did in the bowl game. Actually, they played in the Orange Bowl as well. The reason that it is so difficult – Dan, I called your name. You gave me no help. Um, I pointed to you. I gave you the nonverbal. <laughs> the confirmation. The val- Yes, Chuck, you're correct. The reason it's so difficult to beat a team twice in the same season – We played, I don't know, October 3rd or November 28th or whenever the heck we played. And I beat you 28-27 or 28-3. Doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because I'm sitting there in a coach's meeting watching that game film over and over and over. How in the world do you turn off that game film and say, all right, guys, we got to do things completely different. Gus against Georgia three, uh, what, four years ago? He was like, we just whipped the dog crap out of him. Now, why would he change anything? He was like, business as usual. Kirby's like, oh, we're going to change something. Les Miles is like, we beat them in Tuscaloosa. Why are we going to change anything? Nick Saban's like, "Mm mm-hmm. I think we'll change some stuff. You can't force yourself to do it. To look critically, especially when Utah just, I mean, unloaded on Oregon, I think this will be different. I think they're just they're they're tougher and more physical and that, that that's going to carry the day. I believe. Point is, it doesn't matter because neither of them can make the playoffs. Not at this point. Not unless seventy eight things happen. And Utah's got three losses, don't they? Yeah. Baylor and Oklahoma State. I I dare say you didn't pick either of those teams, and you shouldn't have because Oklahoma State basically couldn't get there without going through Oklahoma, and they don't beat the Sooners, except now they do, and Oklahoma doesn't have his coach anymore. Georgia-Bama? Yes. Ray Charles would have gotten that, and I'm not just – I like like current-day Ray Charles, back from the grave. <laughs> Could be blind and deceased, and he would have picked Georgia and probably gone, ah, yeah, I'll roll with Bama. Michigan-Iowa, Pitt-Wake Forest. You didn't care enough to consider Pitt or Wake Forest, and you were right because it didn't matter who came out of the Coastal and you knew who was coming out of the Atlantic. 
If you are really, really good, you got three out of ten. If you're like the majority, you got two out of ten. We always look at those media polls and fan polls and coaches' polls and everybody else's polls. Again, I I went three for ten. I absolutely did. And I liked Pitt coming out of the Coastal, but I picked North Carolina, and they went down in a division game back the night before the season even actually started. So there is the conclusion of your regular season. For the most part, we still have a couple of games outstanding. We've got USC and Cal going to make up a game on Saturday. We've got other games. Uh, But for the most part, your regular season is concluded. We're going to take a break, come back, and talk about the Florida Gators. They have a new football coach. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Florida done got him a coach. And folks, if I didn't give you any more details, I just stated the fact that Florida had a coach, fired that coach, and then seven days later has hired its new coach. Just the fact that the transaction, this process has been completed – one in UF's corner, because there are a lot of programs right now looking around going, hey, uh, we got a coach yet? And there are new programs being added to that list. Hashtag OU. So you're like Virginia Tech, for instance. Let's go back like three weeks ago. Virginia, we're going to get a head start on this. Virginia Tech fires Justin Fuente. They look around. Florida wasn't even on the list yet. And Florida's off the list. And by the way, Virginia Tech, they – they were already behind USC. You think USC hires a coach, you move up on the list? No. Oklahoma replaces Southern Cal. So, like, a program such as, which is really, 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 really good program in the correct division in a winnable conference, Virginia Tech's looking around three weeks ago going, catbird seat, and turns out that's not the case. Uh, this is this is competitive. It ain't even close to being done. Not even close. Want to welcome on right now. Good friend of the program, good friend of mine as well. He covers the Gators in all sports. But uh, for the Gainesville Sun, today we're going to talk football. It is Graham Hall. Graham, how are you today? Can't complain, Chuck. I was saying to Dan before I hopped on here that, you know, this is why we love college football. Who thought a couple of months ago that, especially if you were a Florida fan, that you'd be sitting here in this situation talking about moving on from Dan Mullen and already having your next head coach less than three weeks out from early signing period. But that is the beast of college football right now. All the rule changes you really cannot wait, take six weeks to find your new head coach with this early signing period, with the attrition options that kids have. Florida had to move quickly here, and, and they got their top guy extremely quickly, as you mentioned. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette, not the easiest place to win, and certainly not on a huge level. And he has been the head coach there four years, and they've done nothing but win. Um, that's part of why Billy Napier got the job. Why do you think that – because University of Florida, I've said, and Graham, I, I mean, you tell me if you agree they're one of those programs we're here for your coach and most programs they can't do anything about it they're going well florida's here um why did billy napier get the job at florida in addition to his performance in lafayette it's a really good question you know i I think what his investment in recruiting i think is the top answer you look at what florida has done over the last decade really since moving on from will muschamp they, they really have not recruited the state well and Napier's a guy who seems obsessed 
with recruiting, Saban Light. You've heard about the process here and how obsessed he is with betrayal. And, and also you've heard about how he kind of has been taken down a few pegs over the last decade. You know, to recap, a guy who was at Clemson and, and was trusted by Dabo Swinney to run that offense. And then they went from third in points scored in the ACC per game to 10th under his watch. And he really got humbled a decade ago and then ended up working with Jim McElwain and back at Alabama. This is a guy that you, you get the sense of has just been through the ringer already and knows what it takes to succeed, even though he hasn't necessarily done it as a head coach at a huge program. But you mentioned Louisiana, not an easy place to, to win at. I mean, you're recruiting against several powers, not just the SEC, but you got Texas, Oklahoma right there in your backyard. Extremely tough place to recruit. I would even say it's a tougher job to recruit at than, than something like, you know, what Mark Stoops was doing up there at Kentucky, where he also was going against Ohio State and Michigan, all those teams up there with the SEC. It's an extremely hard place to win at. And you mentioned the winning. He's done that at an extremely high rate over the last three years. Throughout the first year where they go 7-7, seven and seven, have lost just five games in the last three years. There's not many programs that can say they didn't lose a beat from the pandemic, because I think that certainly – is something that a lot of programs are looking around at and seeing how did our development get off track while some of these smaller, mid-major, whatever you want to call it, schools in the Sun Belt ended up getting even better when you lost on significant development time. That comes down to recruiting, relationships, and understanding the trends in college football and how they're changing. And it just looks like a lot of those things Dan Mullen was not cut out for at Florida. You heard that term repeatedly from Scott Strickland, what they want, sustained success. And you look at the last three years of what Napier has done and then his pedigree, it looks like he checks all those boxes here. But as everyone knows, Florida is a different beast. And just because you have success at one place, it's not going to be an overnight, instant, seamless transition here. There's a lot of intricacies when it comes to recruiting the state that I think that Napier is going to just have to take some time to get adjusted to. And that certainly is going to be interesting to watch how he hits the ground running here once he gets here next week. You know, I always say the unintentional, it's always the most revealing. And here is my measuring stick, Graham, for a head coaching hire. What the what a fan or somebody in the media really thinks. If you hear the hire and the first thing you say is, who's he bringing with him? That That's kind of an insight. Like you hire Mike Brown. No, yeah, who's he bringing with No, you're like, God, we got Mike Brown. Um, I didn't ask who Billy Napier is bringing with him. Like, I, I think that's a heck of a commentary on, like, the guy has been around enough and is so confident in himself that he said, Mississippi State, South Carolina, no thank you. Um, I think it's interesting that, that he was so confident and that he has been visible enough that, at least in the case of me, I looked at it and was like, he's the hire. It's not who's he – like, you hire Will Muschamp, I'm saying, who are you bringing with him? It's a really good question. I think that Napier, they just want to get that name done right away. I mean, you look at the situation with Riley. I mean, a lot of people instantly realized that he was going to bring four guys with him here. And you're coming from a situation at Florida with Dan Mullen where loyalty with the coaching staff that he brought with him, I think you can question now whether that loyalty was detrimental. I think certainly a lot of people, maybe a little bit unfairly, think that his loyalty to guys like John Hevesy, Billy Gonzalez, Greg Knox, it was Grantham. a little bit detrimental to Florida. Why they, yeah, why they plateaued and and keeping Grantham through all four years of that contract. I mean, that just looks like unforgivable in retrospect for a lot of people there. And it does just come down to loyalty and how much of this is a fraternity relationships business here. I think with Napier, you're going to have a good mix of people that he has familiarity with on his coaching staff, along with some names that they are happy spending for because they may be available to get. I know a lot of people are throwing out Tom Herman. 
even though he doesn't have ties to Napier whatsoever, a genius offensive mind who, who maybe is okay taking a coordinator position at a place like Florida, knowing that they can rebuild uh, that reputation there over the yeah. next couple of years. You talk about Doug Belk. That's one I keep hearing a whole lot. He's the Houston defensive coordinator right now. Him and Napier work together on Alabama staff. In 2016, when Belk was a GA and, and Napier was, you know, having his rise back there in his third stint with the Crimson Tide, I wouldn't be surprised if Belk was a name that you hear, maybe as safety's coach, maybe rather than D.C. But I think you also have to get some people with Florida ties, and that's going to take some risks maybe on Napier's part. Last year, we heard Travaris Robinson was a big name. For those who don't know, Florida tried to bring him in here as safety's coach and, or, excuse me, defensive backs coach and as co-D.C., but Todd Grantham didn't want to give up any play calling duties whatsoever and, and Robinson ends up going to Miami maybe you can make amends there and bring Robinson back in the fold here knowing how terrific of a recruiter he is in the state and can really yeah. help me make up for some lost time at least in the immediate uh, term so it's gonna be really interesting to see what he does here but Scott Strickland has told people that Florida is going to absolutely spend here they've spent on facilities they would have spent on recruiting budget if Dan Mullen would have used every cent. But, you know, the show cause, you know, the other things. And he just really kind of wasn't an avid recruiter. He wasn't in love with the recruiting yep. trail. That's not the case here with Napier in Florida. is absolutely going to spend for whatever he wants because they can't afford to hit reset three years down the line if it comes down to a few hundred thousand dollars on the recruiting trail. Last thing for you, Graham, and help me jog my memory. Um, was it after LSU or Georgia that Dan Mullen made the, ah, we'll talk recruiting at the end of the season? Um, which, which And then he canceled all the media for the, the week. Um, that was either LSU or Georgia. And then it seemed a couple of days later, somebody talked to him. And I'm going to tell you, I've always been a fan of Dan Mullen, but, but he's also been very confident slash arrogant always. His last couple weeks on the job, that really was not his demeanor. Do, do, do you know of anything behind the scenes, or did he just look around and realize, okay, this is as serious as it gets, I may get fired? It's a good question. You know, I think that Dan Mullen, and this is just my hypothesis from being around the program for the last couple of years and, and intrinsically talking to people who know him well, I, I think he really just kind of got burnt out. And I don't know whether it was the pandemic that led to it, everything that, that, that he kind of got checked on and had to go through. He also made some missteps with the team over the years. And I know these stories always come out after the fact here, but really kind of I, I don't think that he handled too well the, the social justice movements that were happening throughout the country last year during the pandemic. And that really, I think, rubbed a lot of the team the wrong way. And, and then they kind of got the sense coming into the year that this is a guy that was too sure that he had – a job for the rest of the year. And you saw that with some of the lack of staff changes, pinning the defensive issues on uh, the secondary coaches there. You really just kind of saw a lot of arrogance combined with a guy that uh, was a little bit burnt out to overcome that arrogance. It was a combination of those issues there. But I am with you. I saw some baffling things out of Dan Mullen. And I, I hope that it's not the media down here that makes coaches crack because we've seen some odd statements even throughout Will Muschamp's tenure and Urban Meyer got contentious with the media. There were clips of how he didn't like how players were covered in the local news oh, and weren't doing yeah. anything wrong. And you know, This has been an issue yeah. for two decades now, so I don't know what's going to happen here necessarily, but it is something that the next head coach has to absolutely manage. I don't know whether Florida needs to give PR lessons to a coach, but it is a huge thing here. I agree with that. Graham, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for the insight.
My pleasure. Y'all take care out there. All right, Graham Hall from Gainesville Sun. And uh, it is interesting that I remember even McElwain, and I was with the media as well, the invented, allegedly invented uh, death threats. Um, and now that is what Napier stepping into. Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. All week, all year, it's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. Nine states, 55 sticks. Been dealing it out since the beginning of the 14th season. Appreciate everybody putting that blessing in my life. Uh, Georgia played a game on Saturday. It was their rivalry game. Governor's Cup, I believe, is what it's played uh, for. And it's clean old-fashioned hate. That is the nickname. Uh, The goals of Georgia Tech in Georgia... This past Saturday, it puts the disparity of these programs on full display. Georgia's goal was take the next step to being the best in the game. Georgia Tech's goals on offense, I'm not kidding, folks. Georgia Tech's goals on offense, line up correctly, snap the ball before committing a penalty, make it past the line of scrimmage. That that was it. And that can't be the case at the end of your third season, Jeff Collins. Um Georgia is about as complete as as it gets. Uh, there is so much conversation about their defense, and rightfully so. Do you realize they had the second highest scoring offense in the SEC? And if you want to look at passing yards, you want to look at rushing yards, you want to look at touchdowns, lack of turnovers, whatever it is, any way you want to slice and dice the Georgia offense, it's really, really good. And so this storyline, especially coming out of Saturday, about, well, it'll be the Bama offense and the Georgia defense. Well, of course it will be. But it's not just like, you know, there's 11 guys they pick from a student lottery on the other side of the ball for the dogs. I want to welcome on right now man who talks this game, every other game in the conference. Uh, you can see him on the SEC network, on the sidelines. You can hear him over yonder. Uh, one of the best radio stations in the SEC and the southeast and the uh, nation when it comes to talking college football. Jocks in Birmingham. It is Cole Kublik. Cole, brother, how are you today? I am great, Chuck. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Let's talk to Georgia offense. If if their defense was just above average, wouldn't we be be glowing a little bit more about all that they can do offensively? Because we don't do that virtually at all. Probably. I, I think and one of the things that I said coming out of the spring game there in Athens when I covered it was that they would be problematic because of the different matchups that they pose. A lot of those being physically imposing, by the way, like a Darnell Washington at tight end, 6'7", 280. You see what Brock Bowers has become just an absolute weapon, a guy that can line up a tight end, H-back. They can use him out of the backfield. He can be in the slot, and he's got breakaway speed. He's got physicality to help you in the run game. He's, he's just a guy that does a lot of different things. And I think the receivers are a little bit underrated. Do I think they have a receiver that can just go take over a game? George Pickens was that guy. Now he's back. I don't know if he's ready to be that guy right now, but I do think he's going to draw eyeballs. I do think he's going to bring attention, and that's something that's going to help that offense. But you have a guy in Cook out of the backfield that is not only adept running the football but catching the ball out of the backfield. He's kind of their motion back, their move back that they'll use in a lot of different ways. So he becomes a bit of a matchup problem. And then that old line's pretty big and physical, and they've played well this year. I don't think they're overly dominant by any stretch of the imagination, but they're good, and they can push you around at times. So whether it's Kendall Milton going north and south or Cook out of the backfield or different tight ends finding different mismatches different ways. And the other part is Stetson Bennett just seems to be in total control of that offense. 
And, I don't, you know, physically people can have a conversation about what he's capable of doing, not capable of doing. He understands what he needs to be doing and how to operate that offense. And there's a ton of value in that. So I think they're a good offense. I think they're an offense that gives you a lot of matchup problems. And I think they're a group that can go out there and score against pretty good defense. All right. Well, you are what you are pretty much by this, you know, week 13, week 14. So talk Alabama offensive line versus the Georgia front. What what exactly would you like me to say other than I expect complete another domination? That I see that I don't live in a world where you say that about an Alabama offensive line. I don't live in that (laughs) world, Cole. Um, But I agree with you. But I I, I don't have any answers. We had a couple callers on our show today that asked, you know, how could they offset it? How could because I same as what you just said. I tried to explain. You don't quote fix things at this point in the year. You don't. There's not a part of your team that is broken that you can repair. Now you can you can have a lot of band aids for those bullet holes, and you can keep calling the paramedics in, and they can keep you on life support. But you're not going to resuscitate those issues on your football team. And Alabama's offensive line is an issue. Uh, if Seth McLaughlin is a center going up against Jordan Davis, that's literally a matchup that I don't even want to try to envision. That's almost not fair. And Dalcourt's got issues with both of his ankles, so I can't imagine that he's going to play. Maybe they try to get Chris Owens going back at center again. He had to come in at right tackle because Damian George couldn't get it done at right tackle. So I I don't know. Uh, The things that you can do to offset it would be a better conversation because that's where Alabama has to live right now. And I think that's a lot of quick throws on the perimeter. Uh, That's continuing the RPO game. But – We've now seen Derek Mason and Durante Jones, among others, that have had success and found ways to offset the RPO game. And to make it very simple, it is pressure to the back. And if you have offensive linemen that are inept, they can't handle one-on-ones, what are they going to do when you overload their side? So you think about an RPO by nature, run, pass, option. You have to have the run first. Well, if you're not putting the ball in the belly of the running back, There is no fate to be had. There is no option that's even inside of that play. So when you pressure to the back, 85% of what Alabama does is bringing the back across the quarterback. So he's essentially leaving that area of the protection. It's not hard. It's easy. And teams have just figured out that Alabama's not really adjusting to it. I mean, they took took Rudolph, or Randolph, 85, who's a former offensive tackle, put him at tight end last week, and Chuck, they put him in a three-point stance and asked him to act as a tackle. Like, they had him by himself. They singled him up. And it's not, you say, well, he's a former tackle. He should be able to handle that. Well, not when you're lined up outside of an offensive tackle. I mean, that's just that's putting you in a bad spot, a bad situation. So, they're going to have to, in my opinion, be very quick with their throws. They're going to have to be high percentage by nature with getting the ball out of Bryce Young's hands. And the problem with that is, You've got a lot of linebackers and a lot of edge defenders on that Georgia defense that run very, very well. And I just don't see – if Alabama's going to win that game, it's got to be down the field. They have to attack down the field. And I just don't know how they're going to generate enough time to be able to consistently do that. 
Yeah, uh, defensive tackle on your outside shade, that's a little easier to hit than like a, a, a nickel back in space. Um, so it's, it's a totally and – and he was important to them the other day, by the way. Uh, wrapping up with um, Cole Kubluk from SEC Network and Jocks in Birmingham. Uh, Billy Napier, um, give me your flyover. I think Billy Napier is, number one, a culture guy, which is something that I think actually both Florida and LSU desperately need. He will he will focus on every detail inside the facility, which I think is going to be important. He is going to be able to put a monster staff together when you think about where he's been, his resume, um, obviously working for Saban, working for Dabo, being yeah. on the West Coast. He's, he's kind of that old guard still um, of, of college coaches, you know, came up the old style way a little bit. So he's been around enough people to where his relationships will put a good staff together and people like working for him. People like being around him. So that'll also help that part of it. And he's a relentless recruiter. He understands the time and effort that needs to go into it to be successful with it. So uh, I like his offensive scheme. Florida fans might not think it has enough pass attempts inside of it, but I love the design that he brings to what he wants to do offensively. You can take advantage of mobile quarterbacks. You're going to get your shot plays in. And physically, he's going to be a guy that highlights that part of his team and brings importance to being a group that wins in the trenches on both sides of the ball. So I think it's a really good hire. Uh, full disclosure, I said I thought Dan Mullen would win a national championship in Florida, so I might not be the best one to ask. But I'm a big Billy Napier fan no matter where he was going, LSU, Florida, wherever. I think he's going to win wherever he ends up. Uh, LSU, what's their move? I think I think Scott Woodward's in a really interesting situation right now, and I don't know if it's overconfidence, ego that maybe got in the way of him telling folks on that board a couple of months ago that they had their guy. Maybe it was Jimbo Fisher and he decided not to do it. Uh, you know, contractually, it sounds like some of the numbers had been ironed out with Lincoln Riley in the neighborhood of eight for a hundred. And for whatever reason, Lincoln thought he wanted to go to USC and be the head coach out there. Now I'm not really sure where you go. Uh, the Billy Napier thing is irrelevant because they wouldn't even have a conversation with him, which to me is asinine. But for somebody that already has their claws dug into Louisiana recruiting, for you to not even consider that, I, I just I, I can't fathom it. But um, I think now you've really got to begin to dig. He's going to have to work. This is not going to be a relationship hire anymore. I don't think this is going to be a hire that can be made just because you're LSU. You're going to have to find some. You're going to have to find a bit of a diamond in the rough that for some reason wants to get out. And you got to convince them that this is a better situation or wants a better chance to win. And you need to convince them that this is where they're going to have an easier chance to be able to do it. Apparently, he and Mark Stoops had a conversation yesterday. If I'm Mark Stoops, I'm not walking away from that gig in Lexington. It's too good. It's too sweet. I mean, that guy's got an escalator in his contract for every year that he's retained. Not how many games yeah. he wins. Yeah. Not what his winning percentage is or a rivalry game win. I mean, Chuck, if they decide not to fire him, he gets a raise every year. I don't know many deals better than that. So... It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting watch because I do think LSU is further down their list of candidates than maybe we ever thought possible. All right, last thing. And uh, am I remembering, was there maybe a Jeff Klein-led Auburn offense with Cole Kubelik that uh, went into Neyland on a Saturday night, maybe 97-ish or so? Did you ever play in Neyland? That was 99, and I don't appreciate you bringing it up. Uh, oh, that's the loudest football game I've ever been a part of. When, when people ask me the loudest stadium I ever played in, that's the game. The year after Tennessee won a national championship, we threw, we threw an uncovered out in the flat. 
that was intercepted by Deion Grant, returned for a touchdown, That's first right. play of the game. And I have never heard anything that loud in my life. I believe Deion, the uh, pride of Augusta, Georgia, I think. Um, I was going to ask you because, you know, I, I do – I am bottom line. And, you know, Cole, we, we talk nuts and bolts all the time. But, but there is some value, a lot of it, in heritage, tradition, fan excitement. And I know when expectations change, so will the response from the Tennessee fan base. But we got Neyland Stadium back this year. And, and we, yeah, ain't, we, we ain't had Neyland Stadium in more than a decade. And that's not nothing. When you get a place like that, it becomes a place again. Um, just talk about Neyland because I kind of – I'm not a Tennessee grad. And I was watching. I was like, it's back. It's there. It's a thing. And it hadn't been. I, uh, it's unfortunate that a very small amount of time in that old Miss game earlier this year that we had was ruined by a couple of fans that were throwing things on the field. But and it's also unfortunate that a couple of hybrid members of the media wanted to take comments that we made about the stupidity of what was happening and think that we tried to take away from Tennessee or what that game was for most of it. Uh, because we went out of our way to highlight how great the stadium was that night, how loud it was, how running through the tee was, looked like it was supposed to look. That place being full sounded the way it was supposed to sound. I think you stated it perfectly, and I tried to reiterate that during that game, that this is what Neyland's supposed to be. I, I, I mean, I, I talked to Al Wilson right before the game, and he said, man, isn't this cool? Like, this is what, it, this yeah. is what I remember. This, yeah. is what it, this, is what it, this is what got me to come here. And that was what made it the most difficult place that I ever played, was, was that moment um, that you mentioned in 1999, and it very closely resembled it earlier this year when we were there. So I thought it was great. I, I want that place to be back. I want that stadium to be what it can be. I want that program to be what it can be because I think the league is better when it is. But that is a, that is a cathedral of college football that is built a little bit different than everywhere else. It sounds a little bit different than everywhere else and obviously makes a game fun to watch on TV and makes it a lot more fun to be a part of in person. Cole, appreciate it as always, brother. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chuck. All right, Cole Kubelik, Jocks, SEC Network, all that. We're going to break, come back, wrap up Hour 1 next. Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. They hand it off. Haskins following his block. That was a 13-yard touchdown run in the third quarter. A few minutes in, I was watching the game, and Ohio State season is done for the reason we talked about before it ever started. Now, I also said, and they'll figure it out because they're Ohio State and playoffs, and they're good enough to beat. I said as recently as last week, they're good enough to beat Georgia. I get paid every day to talk about college football. So, uh, Saturday, I said the reason Ohio State season is done, it's the reason we talked. They never found answers on defense. Not consistently. They never found answers on defense, especially a linebacker and anyone responsible for covering downfield. My goodness. Just anybody. The back seven, if you're running like old school, do we know that Bill Belichick 
because he lies and cheats. He he's, he actually stole that zone blitz. Do we know that? Like, he gets credit for it, right? That was Dick LeBeau. Now, Dick LeBeau, did he steal it? Maybe. I don't know. But my understanding is Dick LeBeau kind of invented the thing. Even if it's a zone, like the old zone blitz where the defensive end, like, drops way back into whoever was responsible for pass coverage this year in Columbus. My goodness. Saturday, same thing. Can never get the stop. It, folks, let me back this up. That play that, that we just ran, that, that clip, that's Hassan Haskins, and he ran for, I don't know, 150-something, let's say. I hate to, David, do you know how much he ran for? Do you, I think it was close to 270 total. Like, I know the team got around 200 yards yeah. total, but I think he got closer to 200. Okay, so he was awesome and multiple touchdowns, whatever. And so that was one of the 13-yard. Do you know what happened before the 13-yard touchdown? It was like a 60-yard run that um, who's uh, uh, Hickman, the safety, made the tackle, ran that kid down, and I was like, that's because Ohio State had just scored, had made it a one-score game again, and I was like, they just got to get a stop here. That 13-yard touchdown run, folks, that was the play after they finally got a stop, even when they got the stop. The very next play, and by the way, Hickman, if you didn't, if you didn't see it, that kid walked in. He straw. He was bored by about the five yard line. Chased the kid down in the red zone. Okay, second chance. Nope. Very next play. Another touchdown. Game never really got close. Dan, how are you? Oh man, I'm good. You know, I mean, probably need to hit the gym a little bit afterwards. Need to let the voice come back of uh, yelling at uh, the referees at the Cowboys game the other day. But aside from that, everything is good on my part. Um, You know, the thing that I want to take on right now is the narrative that we've been seeing all throughout the last few days on social media, and that is Lincoln Riley's scared of the SEC. Two reasons that I have that he is not scared, and here is exactly what it is. We all know that coaches have an ego, which, by the way, too, what you just said there about Bill Belichick, don't we know that coaches are a lot like radio hosts? None of the ideas are our own. We got it from somebody else. Oh, I was told by best producer I've ever worked with. I said, yeah, but I heard this on another station. I'm stealing it. He said, quote, they stole it. No, he said, before you heard it on that other station, it had been stolen twice already. I've got to believe that the 46 defense was somebody else's before Buddy Ryan. He just took it and made it his own and added some things to it. And then somebody else took from him. It's kind of the cycle of life that there is. But we all know that coaches have egos. And in this case for Lincoln Riley, I think that he looked at both openings that he had. And I don't know if an official offer was made or it wasn't made. It doesn't matter at this point because he's going somewhere else. But the whole thing with LSU is I think he looked at it and said, I don't necessarily believe that anything I do there is going to be good enough. Now, it's one of those things, are people looking at what just happened with two years later that you fired Ed Ogeron? If that's the case, I think you're looking at the wrong things because you need to look at what the program became as opposed to what it was a couple of years ago when you had other good support pieces in the program and things were rolling along the way that you wanted it to move. Look, it's not only about the numbers. It's not only about the wins and the losses. Sometimes it's about the trajectory of what your program is doing. For Lincoln Riley, he's thinking to himself, I can go out to Southern California. I can at least make a better effort and recruit better than the guy was before me. I only have to face so many amount of opponents every single year to be able to make myself into the final four. Because I got to tell you right now, Chuck, he makes the final four. He has this team viable and he has them winning enough. People out in South Central Los Angeles are going to be happy with what he's doing there. That's not going to change. The other thing as well, 
you're going to a heritage program where if he brings them back to a national title and he wins, Chuck, think about how we still talk about Pete Carroll even with a quote-unquote scandal a few years later. I still look back to those mid-2000s USC teams and say, my gosh, how fun was that to watch? I mean, we hated it at the time. We thought we hated it to a certain part, but now we think back on it, and that's what we do in college football. We're nostalgic in large part. But in this case right here, if Lincoln Riley can just win one out there on the West Coast, one national title, he's going to be thought of as one of the greats. And I think that appeal over everything else matches what he could have possibly gotten at LSU. Yeah, it's it's not going to be a net loss for the Southeastern Conference if you're talking about you know your what what pieces are on your side of the board. Uh, it's a big get for the Pac-12 because, as I said, they're not going to the playoffs this year. Um, who's going to the playoffs? I think Michigan wins on Saturday, and I think Georgia wins, and so that'll be two of them. Um, if there is a way for Notre Dame to go and not Cincinnati, I think that that's what the committee would want to do. But it would have to be Notre Dame, not Cincinnati, and Notre Dame without a conference title. Uh, so there's just a, there's a lot to still be decided out there. But the Pac-12 just got stronger. Um, they they. They took a coach from a program that normally the only way you lose that coach is if he's going home, which Lincoln Riley is not, uh, or he's going to the NFL. Like, like, I can't compare with that, okay? Um, So so OU at this point, um, they're going to hire whoever. And, and, And I'm saying, like, whoever out of, four candidates or six or eight that possibly OU could consider. When I say it's not a, it's a game for the PAC 12, but not a net loss for the sec. I have no idea where Oklahoma goes like right now. I don't know, but I, I do know the caliber of coach they will hire. And so for Oklahoma, what I expect to happen, unless I'm way off on this or else, uh, is it Castiglione still? Yeah, he's still there. Okay. Joe Castiglione. Yeah, it, or Castiglione. Unless he's way off on the hire, it'll be a different – Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley, different name, same, same thing. It'll be the same thing. So the SEC didn't lose a pillar. It'll just be a, a pillar with a different name tag on it. It may be somebody from the NFL. It may be – I don't know, James Franklin. It may be whomever. But it'll be an Oklahoma-level candidate, I promise you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.